Well, hey there, church family. So good to have you with us today. Uh, so glad that you're able to join and worship with us. And we're going to turn our hearts to the word in just a minute. But first, I have an announcement uh, I'd like to share. Coming up on January 31st, we're going to be holding a baptism service here at the Thrive Center in Glendora. If you've not been baptized in water, if you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, but you've not taken that next step of being baptized in water, we want to invite you to participate. It's going to be at 3 p.m. January 31st. It's a Sunday afternoon. Uh, you can sign up to be a part of that by clicking the link in the chat section right now. Or if you go to thriveglendora.org, you can sign up to be a part of uh, that baptism service to get baptized. It's going to be outdoors. It's going to be in our parking lot here at the Thrive Center. Uh, we'll be physically distanced and we'll stay safe. But so important that we, for those that want to take that next step of obedience to, to the Lord and getting baptized in water, that they have the opportunity to do that. And so significant, this will be one of the first times really in a year, uh, we're in about 10 months that we've had a chance to even come together uh, as a church family. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to come out and be a part of that, we'll have a time of worship and we'll, we'll see those who want to get baptized, uh, get baptized in water. Uh, Parents, if your kids are interested in being baptized, uh, we welcome that. Uh, we just encourage you to have that conversation and to assess where they are in their walk with the Lord and if they understand the significance of that step of baptism. Uh, and you're welcome if you, if you have friends, if you have family that, that either you would know would like to get baptized or would like to come and, and watch as you get baptized, you're welcome to invite them uh, to that as well. And so there will be more details in the weekly newsletter that goes out this week and then also at the church website. So January 31st, 3 p.m. And then we'll videotape that and we'll share that in the in the service that following Sunday in February. So make plans to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to celebrate with those who take that important step in their walk with the Lord. Well, we are continuing our conversation about prayer. And I'm my hope and my prayer for you is that in these first uh, few weeks of January, that you've really sensed the presence of God in your life, that you've been able to turn to and focus uh, on His voice and find direction to praise Him, to focus on what God would want to speak to you as you enter into uh, the new year. And uh, just, just such a great opportunity to come together as a church family. Uh, last Sunday, I spoke out of Second Chronicles about the need for us as a church community, as the, the believers uh, in Jesus Christ, as God's children, uh, to take responsibility for our, our lives and our walk with Him, to come humbly before the Lord, to seek His face, and to repent and turn from our sin. And as Second uh, Chronicles talks about, it's in this place that uh, God then hears from heaven and heals the land. And I think we would all recognize that our land is in need of healing, but not just here in the U.S. I think around the world, we know that there is brokenness that has persisted uh, from the time of the fall till today, and that we bear a responsibility to pray and to seek the face of the Lord, to repent and to seek for His healing in the land. And I want to continue that discussion today a little bit more. I want to focus in on some practical points in how to pray for our community, how to pray for our nation, and how to pray for the world. I think sometimes prayer becomes uh, something that we don't have practical tools for. 
We, we love the idea of prayer, but when it comes to praying, how do I pray those prayers? What does that look like? Sometimes we're not as equipped as we need to be. And so today's message is really designed to give us some, some pointers, some practical tools that we can use. And some of those we'll actually use together as a church family as we pray for our community, for our nation, and for the world. I've referenced over these last couple of weeks and even going back into the series from last year, a passage out of Matthew 6, 9, and 10, where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 10, it says this, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to really focus in on this portion of the Lord's Prayer today, this model of prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples and to us about how we can frame our prayers and how we need to approach God. And, and in this, of course, we see Jesus addressing the, the, the sovereignty of God, the fact that God the Father is in heaven, that he is not here on earth, that he is, he is above, that he is separate, but he is not disconnected, and that his name is to be hallowed. He is he is holy. He is perfect. He is not like us. And that, that we need to recognize that aspect of his nature and his character. Then Jesus prays this portion of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder how often when we pray, what we're really praying for is God establish my kingdom and do my will. Rather than saying, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done. And it's important to remember this, that the coming kingdom, the coming kingdom is not theoretical, that it's not mythical, and it's not some distant future event. And though Jesus will return and he will usher in the fulfillment of the promise of his kingdom and will realize it in full, it does not mean that it's not available now as well, which is why Jesus prays that way and says, your kingdom come now. May your kingdom be established on earth as it is in heaven. This is a powerful and dynamic prayer that Jesus prays. It's a powerful and dynamic model of prayer that he gives to us so that, it, that we understand that what is available to us in the heavenlies is huge. It's enormous. It is the, it is the fullness of God's kingdom present with us here on earth. God's kingdom is a present reality. God, make that reality a reality here. The reality that's in heaven, make it a reality here on earth. But here's what scripture tells us all throughout scripture. It says this, that there is a spiritual battle and spiritual forces that oppose that kingdom being established. We see it in the life and the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus faced opposition at every juncture, at every turn, there were people that were there to oppose him. And recognizing that it wasn't just people, that there were spiritual forces, this, that the devil himself takes Jesus aside and tries to dis distract him and really deter him from the mission that God had called him to. We find this important reminder from the Apostle Paul in the letter to the, uh, the, the, the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, verses 12. Paul writes this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think it's such a timely word for us that the struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
that the struggle is not the, against people, that we're not fighting against people, that all of the things that are going sideways and going wrong and not working out in our world, all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the sin finds its root, not in people, but in the spiritual forces, the evil spiritual forces that are at work in this world seeking to disrupt the kingdom of God that needs to be established, that God desires to establish in every home, in every life, in every community, in every nation. So our struggle is not against people. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And so what we have to do is we have to focus the fight. We have to focus the fight. When it comes to prayer, believe me, there is a fight that happens, that we bring the fight to the enemy when we go to prayer. When we turn our hearts to prayer and we seek the Lord, when we press in and we do spiritual warfare, that we are bringing the fight to the enemy, we have to focus the fight. Satan wants us to get distracted and he wants to fight amongst us, to fight amongst ourselves, to see other people as the enemy, to see other people as the opposition. And Jesus modeled this for us, that he had compassion even on the people that persecuted him, that there was a compassion even hanging on the cross in that moment where he is about to die. He looks at the people who have crucified him and he utters those words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. There is a veil, there is a darkness that exists over the, the eyes of those who, who do not know Jesus. I heard a pastor tell me, a pastor friend once told me, to not expect redeemed behavior from unredeemed people. And I think sometimes what we do as believers is that we expect that everyone in this world would act righteously. But the truth is, is until our eyes are open to the kingdom of God, that we are doing our own thing. It might look polished and neat and tidy, but the truth is, is until we surrender our lives to Jesus and we become a part of his kingdom work, we're doing our own thing. And our eyes are veiled, our, our eyes are blind to the realities of what God is doing and to the realities even of our deceit. And so we have to focus the fight. We have to bring the fight to the enemy. We have to remember that people are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. And before we launch attacks and before we start saying things against other people, especially fights that would happen within the church, that we would say, wait a minute, have I prayed? Have I, have I sought the Lord? Have I come, come to a place of, of doing spiritual warfare and, and dis really discerning, God, what is happening here? And how can I pray your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation, in this circumstance, in this relationship? And that's what I really want to focus on today. So I have a few points that I want to make. Um, and the first is this. We need, to, we need to ask the question, when it comes to prayer, praying for our, our, our nation, praying for our community, praying for the world, we need to ask this question, what is the Spirit saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? What is, what is God saying about what is happening in the world around us? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 2. This is what it says. Uh, Paul here writing to the church in Corinth. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not, may not uh, have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some, of, some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. 
The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. One translation says that our weapons are not carnal. They're not of this world, but they are spiritual. Paul's reminder here to the church in Corinth is this, is that we, even though we live in the world, the way we engage each other and the way we engage the world should not look the, way, look the same as the way the world does it. And I think sometimes the lines between our, our, our faith in Jesus and our Christian expression of, and, and, and religion can, can really get blurred between the culture and what's happening in the world around us. We are in the world, but we do not wage war as the world does. Paul says this, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Your weapons, the weapons that God has given you as a son and a daughter of the Most High who has been endowed with the power of the Holy Spirit have power to demolish strongholds. What does that mean? Well, a stronghold is this. In, In a war situation, a stronghold would be a place, a base of operation for the enemy. A stronghold is a base of operation for the enemy. It's a place where the enemy becomes entrenched and and fortified and where the enemy is able to launch attacks, whether it's skirmishes and small attacks here or there or a larger uh, stronghold where there's a a larger base of operation. And whether it it was in World War II, World War I or Vietnam or in in the Middle East or wherever a war would would have been fought really all around the world, the goal of the, the military is this, to go in and uproot those strongholds, to get the enemy out of the places where they're entrenched because they couldn't have a victory in a, in a town or in a city if the enemy had dug in and established these fortified positions, these strongholds. Paul's drawing this picture here, drawing this analogy for us between what happens with the armies of this world, which in those days they would have been familiar with the Roman army and the way that the Roman garrisons would get established and create a stronghold in a community. And that, that's how they established their power and their control. And he, 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 he aligns it to the work of the kingdom where he says that the weapons that we fight with are spiritual and that the enemy has established strongholds throughout this world, that Satan has established places of, of dominion, places where he has dug in, fortified positions out of which he attacks, and he brings ad- attacks against the people of God, where he seeks to steal and kill and destroy, as John 10.10 10 tells us. But we have weapons available to us to demolish those strongholds. And those strongholds are not people, they're spiritual forces. So we have to move. But we have to move in a concerted effort. We have to move in a coordinated way, not just with each other, but we have to discern, God, what are you saying? We have to wonder and and look at where is the Spirit of God moving? And we have to move in step with the Spirit of God to bring about this coordinated attack against what the enemy would try and establish in the world around us. And we use spiritual weapons, not carnal ones. We use spiritual weapons, and prayer is the tip of that spear. 
Prayer is that point where we bring the fight to the enemy, where we pray that God would uproot and undo the work of the enemy in our community, in our nation, and in the world. But we have to discern, God, where are you moving? Where are you moving? Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, reading in verse 16, whenever, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is, ta- is taken away. Remember, I was talking about that veil that exists for those who do not, do not know Jesus. They walk in a, in a spiritual blindness. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This passage of Scripture uh, ties into this dynamic we have when we become a part of the family of God. That the veil, that the blindness is lifted, and we get to now contemplate God face to face. We unveiled get to see who he, He is. And His reminder is this, is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, in other words, in our lives, where the Spirit of God is moving in our lives, there is freedom. And where the Spirit of God is moving through our lives, we get to bring freedom to people who are held captive. That we get to usher in the freedom of God through the Spirit moving in our lives. But we need to discern, God, where are you moving? Where are you at work? And so we get to, to step back and to survey and to ask in prayer, God, would you show me? It's as simple as this, church. God, would you show me where you're at work in my community, in my neighborhood, in my workplace, in the world? God, would you show me what the strongholds are? What are the places of, of, uh, of operation, those, uh, those fortified positions that the enemy has established where he is bringing the attack against families, against couples, against individuals, against communities? That we would say, God, what is the stronghold? What is the, the fortified position in my community? And then we would go to prayer and we would pray that the Lord would uproot it, that he would demolish that stronghold. And we'll talk a little bit more practically here in just a minute what that looks like. The second thing is this, and we've talked about this. It keeps coming up as a theme, and and it's an important theme for us. But the second is this, that we would repent on behalf of the community. That repentance, repentance isn't just something I do for myself. But as we saw in 2 Chronicles, that we would repent on behalf of the community. That even means repenting for things that I might not feel like I... I have a hand in that I'm responsible for. But we are a community. We are, our lives are connected to each other. And then when we look at our nation, when we look at our community, when we look at our neighborhood, when we look at our families, that we would say, God, where do we need to repent? Where are the places of brokenness? Where are the places of sin? Where are the places where we've allowed a foothold of the enemy, where we've given place to the enemy to move in? I heard this once, and, and I love this picture, is that the Scripture says that we should not give the enemy a foothold in our lives. We shouldn't give the enemy any place to move in our lives. The picture is that of a, a rock climber who is able to scale a rock face where little cracks and little crevices, little footholds are established where 
You know, for most people, they could say, I, I can never climb that. But for a rock climber, they just need to get their, their finger or their toe right on that little crevice, on that little foothold, and they're able to move up that, that rock face. The Bible says that we should not give the enemy any foothold, any small place where he gets to establish a work in our lives, where he gets to come, where we essentially invite the work of the enemy into our homes and into our lives. And I, so I heard this said that, a, a foothold becomes a stronghold, and a stronghold becomes a chokehold. And that when we allow the enemy to have a small place in our lives, a, a small place of operation, a place where we essentially say to the enemy, you can move in this place in my life, that he takes that, strong, that, that foothold and he desires to turn it into a stronghold in our own lives. And usually... That stronghold, that place, and even that foothold will resemble what the stronghold is even in the, the community at large. But we need to fight. We need to make sure that the strongholds don't become chokeholds and that we would turn back the onslaught of the enemy. But that takes repentance, that each of us would say, God, where is it that we need to repent on behalf of our community? Where is it that we need to get our face before you? Daniel chapter 9 uh, Daniel is, is a young man who's been taken captive out of, uh, out of Israel. He's now in Babylon. He's, he's, uh, he's in servitude. He's a servant of the king there. Um, but he remains faithful to the Lord. And he prays this prayer in Daniel chapter 9, verse 16 through 18. He says, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O our God, and hear, and open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. I love that last part. We're not crying out to you because we are righteous. God, we're crying out to you because we recognize that you are a merciful God. It's a powerful prayer that Daniel prays. And, and the part that especially stands out to me is he repents of the sin of, he says, of our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, those who had gone before, looking back into history and say, what are the patterns of brokenness? What are the patterns of strongholds being established through sin and through iniquity that have led to this place where the people of God are now in exile and Jerusalem is laying in ruins? God, Daniel calls out to God and he says, God, forgive us. We repent Church, we have the opportunity to stand in the gap, to take responsibility, to, res to, the re to repent and to intercede, to, come, to be a go-between for our communities, for our neighborhoods, for our nation, and for the world before the Lord and say, God, we repent. We repent. And so we need to take those stands. We need to take that, that posture of repentance. Third thing is this. After we discern where the Spirit of God is and where we repent and stand in the gap on behalf of our community. The third is this, we need to respond to the Spirit's call. See, we are called to pray for our neighbors and the nations. We're called to reach our neighbors 
and the nations. It was Jesus' commission to the disciples that they go into all the world. In Matthew chapter 28, and then in Acts 1.8, he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there's these concentric circles. There's kind of this moving out, this wave that goes out from the place where they lived to the very ends of the earth, to the places that they didn't even know existed yet. We are called to pray for our neighbors and for the nations. Nehemiah was a contemporary of Daniel. In fact, he also had been taken captive. He was an Israelite living in exile. And the same Jerusalem that Daniel references is the same Jerusalem that Nehemiah's heart is broken for when he hears about the state of the city. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 13, uh, it says this. This is after Nehemiah's uh, been weeping over the city of Jerusalem. He's received a report about the gates being burned and the, the walls being torn down. And he goes before the king and as he's serving and the king says to him, what's wrong? Why are you so downcast? And Nehemiah has to risk and, and, and either say, you know, everything's good or to be honest about what's happening. And so he risks and he says, my city is ruined. And through that dialogue, God opens the door for the king to resource Nehemiah to be able to go to Jerusalem and do the repairs to the walls that needed to be done. And so here we find in verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 13, Nehemiah is in Jerusalem, but he is surveying the damage. And so this is what it says. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. There were opposition, there were enemies that were all around, and so Nehemiah goes in secret, he goes at night, he doesn't make a big spectacle out of it, he quietly goes and he rides, he has, he, he has a, a, a donkey that he's riding as far as he can in the places where he can't pass through, he gets off and he walks and he examines the entire wall of Jerusalem. He examines, he looks for it, he inspects it, and he looks for where the breaks are in the wall. Before he sets to work, before he just starts putting rocks on top of rocks or trying to hang doors, he goes and he examines and he, he looks at what the damage is and he develops a plan. And then he brings that plan to the people and he says, this is, this is what we need to do. And he breaks them into work groups and he assigns them to different portions of the wall and they begin the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. I believe that that's what God would call us to do as the church today. That so often what we're doing is that we have groups here and there who are trying to stack rocks on top of each other, we're, but we're not necessarily coordinated in our efforts to pray, to examine where is the damage and what can be done about it. And so like Nehemiah, we need to evaluate. Again, this comes back to where is God at work and what is he showing us that needs to be rebuilt? What becomes the priority and what is the, the plan? And so I want to outline some basic steps for us as a church family of what we can do to make a difference in our community, in our nation, and around the world. So of course the first is this, is pray. That we would be a people of prayer. That we would seek the face of the Lord, but we would also seek the hand of the Lord. We would seek his, his face first that we would want to be in his presence and hear his heart, but then we would say, God, would you move? And that we would pray specifically 
that we would address specific issues and that we would have a plan in our prayer, that we would address specific issues in our nation, in our, in our, in our community, in our nation, and around the world. Issues such as salvation, that at the very heart of the gospel is that people who don't know Jesus would come to know Jesus. And understanding this, that there are spiritual forces at work in the world trying to prevent people who don't know Jesus from coming to know Jesus. That there is a very real opposition to people becoming saved and receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. There's opposition to the gospel being preached. And so we need to pray for salvation. We need to ask, that, ask God that he would bring salvation to our neighbors and to the nations, to our friends, to our family members, and that we would ask specifically for people, God, would you, would you bring my uncle, my friend, my neighbor, would you bring them to a point of salvation? Would you open their hearts to receive the gospel? That we would pray for the restoration of relationships. We recognize that relationships in our in our neighbors, in our, in, our, in our neighborhoods, in, in our nation, and in the world are broken. That, na- that, that the relationships are fractured. Now we could pray that God would restore relationships. We can pray for provision. We can pray for breakthrough. We can pray for understanding. But that we would pray specifically for specific issues in our neighborhood, in our nation, and in the world. We can pray in specific places and for specific places. I want to encourage you, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your neighborhood. In fact, one of the things I I want to encourage you to do is start doing prayer walks that you would pick a night of the week. In fact, one of my, my points of application today is this. I want to encourage us as a church family to set aside Wednesday nights and we would do Wednesday walks. That as a church family, wherever we live, that we would set aside an hour on Wednesday evening to walk around our neighborhoods and pray, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for the land that we occupy and say, God, would you move in this place? That as we walk around the the neighborhood, that we would be listening to the voice of God saying, God, what's going on in here? What's going on in this place? What are the the places of stronghold? What are the places of opposition? And God, how can I pray? So you can pray in your neighborhood by doing prayer walks. You can pray in your workplace, whether that workplace you're physically going to work or whether you're maybe, maybe still virtually uh, commuting or you know, connecting via Zoom. But you can pray for your workplace. Pray for your coworkers. Pray, pray that God would be revealed in that place. Pray for the schools in your community. Go and, and stand on the school grounds. Walk around the schools and pray over the schools. Go to your city hall. Go and pray over city hall and over the police department and the fire department. We can also pray for specific places around the world globally. That we can pray for nations. I would encourage you to do this. Pick a country. Pick, pick a nation to pray for. Learn about it. Study, find out what is God doing in this nation? What is the work? What is the the condition of the church in this nation? And start praying, make it a regular practice to pray for a nation that is not the nation that you live in. You can also pray for missionaries. We have missionaries all around the world who would love for you to pray for them, encourage you, pray, 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 pray for specific places. You can pray for specific people. Pray for your family. Please pray for your family. 
Pray for your friends. Pray that they would come to know the Lord if they don't know the Lord. Pray for your neighbors. If you know their names, pray for them by name. If you don't know their names, pray for them until you learn their names and make it a priority to learn their names so you can pray for them by name. Pray for your church. Pray for your church community. Pray for each other. Pray for your pastors, but pray for specific people. Pray for your coworkers and pray for your civic leaders, both the local, state, and national leaders. That we're called as the body of Christ to pray specifically for people. So that we would pray specifically, but then we would also pray fervently. That we would pray par- impassioned prayers, prayers that, that, that f- force their way forward. Remember, this is, this is not casual, a casual stroll. This is battle. Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That this is a battle. In fact, there in Ephesians 6, he talks about the armor of God, that we would take on the whole armor of God. Why do we need armor? Because we're in a fight. That we would pray, pray fervently, passionate prayers, not just emotionally passionate, but we would allow God to move our hearts for our neighbors, for our nation, and for the world. That our hearts would be stirred. We sing that song, God, break my heart with what breaks yours. But it has to move beyond just words sung in a song that we need to give place and say, God, would you, would you give me a passion? Would you give me a fervor to pray for people? Church, lives depend on it. Lives depend on your prayer. And that we would pray then also corporately, that we would come together. I encourage you in your home, would you set a rhythm of prayer where you come together? If you're married, pray with your spouse. If you have children, come bring your kids together and pray. Set a time, set aside a time. If, if, if you're not currently do it, set a time, aside a time once a week to pray. And I'm not talking about grace that that we would pray before our meal, though that's a great thing. But we would teach our children to pray and that we would draw them in and say, we we need to learn to pray together, to bring our voices together in agreement as we pray. Pray with your friends. Find times, even have uh, prayer chats going. Grab a couple of people that you know, pull them into a prayer chat and say, hey, let's, let's chat with each other and let's pray. And I know a number of you already do this, But if you don't have someone to pray with, if you don't have someone to text and say, I need prayer today, then then find someone, make that happen. And we're working on some things that will allow that to even happen at a greater level for us as a church family. And then I want to invite you. Uh, I sent out an email this last week about our Sunday morning prayer time. We pray from 9.45 to 10.15 every Sunday. Uh, It's live on Zoom And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Would you set an alarm? Would you set it in your calendar and join us for corporate prayer? Church, we need to be a church that prays our way through 2021. And we need that time together to pray corporately, that we would pray for all of the things that we've just talked about and more. But we would love to have you be a part of that. So would you find that link? The link is available on uh, on thrivelandor.org. It's a Zoom link. Join us at 9.45 every Sunday, and let's pray together as a church family corporately. And then the last thing is this, as a part of our prayer, that we would also fast, that we would fast. Spiritual strongholds are broken in the midst of fasting. That's why we, it's part of why we fast. Uh, and that we need to set a regular rhythm for fasting in our lives, not just the first 21 days of the year, but that we would find times 
decide even now for this next year when are some seasons when you will decide to fast maybe a day maybe it's a day a week maybe you choose to fast one day a week or maybe it's one week a month or find periods of time where you would say i'm choosing to fast jesus and his disciples in mark 9 28 through 29 uh had this encounter uh jesus finds the disciples after a season of a period of ministry where they had gone out and done ministry. And it says this in, in Mark nine twenty eight. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He, they, they're speaking about a demonic force, a, de- a demon that they encountered in someone, and they were not able to cast it out. And so he said to them in verse 29, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. The prayer and fasting have to be engaged in, in order to unseat those spiritual strongholds, those forces. Jesus here himself telling us, we've got to fast and we've got to pray to bring about spiritual freedom and change. And so we need to set those regular rhythms of fasting. And then finally today, we need to act. We need to do something. God has placed you in the community you are, you're, you're in for a reason. You live where you live for a reason. You were born in the time you were born for a reason. You're connected to the people in your life for a reason. It's not happenstance. It's not by accident. It is for a reason. That you would look around your, 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 your community, your, the, the, the circle of influence that you have, and you would say, who are the lives? And you would ask, who are the lives? Who are the people that I'm connected to? And God, how can I be praying for those people? praying for our family, praying for our friends, praying for our co-workers, but God's calling us to act, that he wants us to move, to do something. What influence has he granted you? Where are places where you have inroads and open doors to speak into people's lives? Now you would pray for greater doors, that you would pray that people would approach you and ask you about your faith. Church, we've been called to pray and the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual. And they are powerful for tearing down strongholds. Church, we need to be that kind of people. We need to be the people of God who are on mission, on our knees, praying, repenting, and seeing our na- neighbors, our neighborhoods, our, our communities, our nation, and the world transformed by the power of Jesus. So I mentioned two things that I'd like for you to be a part of. Plan on being, being a part of these each week. The first again is this, the Wednesday walks. Would you start this Wednesday? Would you set a time, side time in the evening? And would you just go on a short walk around your neighborhood? And as you walk, would you pray? Would you pray for your neighbors? Would you lift them up? Would you ask that God would move in their homes without even knowing what's happening on the, on the other side of those closed doors? Would you pray? Would you discern what God is saying? And let's do that as a church family. And we'll send out some reminders. This is on your own. This is just something you can do, but knowing that we can do this corporately is so powerful. And then I want to invite you to join us each Sunday for Sunday prayer, 9.45 a.m. I'm sorry, 10.45 to, uh, no, no, 9.45 to 10.15. We join together on Zoom. Be a part of that time. Church, we can make a difference in prayer. Let's be a church that prays in such a way that our neighbors, our nation, and the world is transformed. Let's go before the Lord. God, we thank you that you entrust us with this power and this authority, Lord, to pray, to to bring about change in the world. 
God, we thank you that people are not the enemy, but the enemy is the enemy, and that we have been given what we need to move in effectively, Lord, in a concerted way against the work of the enemy in the world. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment, Lord. Give us a boldness in prayer. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our community, in our nation, in all of the nations of the world. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have an amazing day. Set aside that time to pray on Wednesday, uh, and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.